Hey, just a quick warning for this episode. We had some audio issues while we were recording, and Tyler especially is clipping a lot. I did the best I could with it, and hopefully you won't notice at all. But if you listen to this with headphones normally, you might not want to this time. Thanks for listening, and hope you enjoy. It's Thursday, February 10th, 2022, and you're listening to Last Time on Video Games, the podcast about retro video games and sometimes some other stuff. You're listening to episode 289. I don't remember what I said about System Shock, but I stand by it. Runtime for this episode is 1 hour, 22 minutes. welcome to Last Time on Video Games, the podcast where I'll be playing the role of Zach. My name is Jeremy. I'm Splicing and Dyson. I'm Tyler. I I like how Tyler is the one who threw yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I knew that was what you were probably going to go with. I just like lost everything. My name is Zach. So I guess we're off to a normal start. Yeah. I'm confused. I was going to say, it's all that splicing. Messes with your head. For a second, I thought you were just going to try to take my role and just start hosting the show from there. It's, it's <laughs> for a brief second, when you kept talking, I was like, oh, is he going to fucking do it? And he did it. Um, we played, I thought about it. We played Bioshock this quarter. <laughs> <laughs> were you going to say week or month and then forget how long it's been? No, I was trying to think of the right joke. <laughs> it definitely wasn't week. Uh, yeah, definitely not week. That occurred to me, it has been long enough since we recorded, I am preemptively looking up the list of games I have played in the last year. I'm not going to talk about too many. There are a couple I specifically want to talk about. That's a lot on me. Some of it is on COVID and Christmas, the two podcast killers. Part of it is on me wanting to play all through Bioshock to have a reasonable opinion of it, and this is a game I hate and could only play like 20 minutes at a time of before I didn't want to play it anymore. I beat this game in one sitting. Yeah, it's not a long game. I believe that's possible. The problem was not the length of the game. The problem was my stomach for the game. (laughs) But we will get to that later. Before that, Zach, what have you been playing this quarter? (laughs) Fiscal quarter? Is that funnier? Is it funnier if I say fiscal quarter? (laughs) It is, yes. Um, Now, what have I been playing this quarter? Uh, Do we want to start with Satisfactory? We played that. Yeah, we played a lot of Satisfactory. That's the big one right now is Satisfactory. It's, It's a fun game. Jeremy is regularly annoyed at me. <laughs> so there's nothing new. I was yelling at you so loud, my parents thought that I had ended my friendship with you. I'm like, <laughs> no. I guess I really don't get mad very often if you thought that. <laughs> so Jeremy had this meltdown at me and Kevin, and I get the image in my head is just great because we were doing something that screwed up one of the things that he had put together, and the then thing we didn't was, realize it. You hadn't did one thing that had screwed up what I did. To get for a, I thought you had done one thing that screwed up. You had done so many things between the two of you, and I just kept finding more and more things the deeper I dug. Well, the reason why this was funny is because you had me and Kevin both standing on a splitter with rifles as Jeremy's character stood in like this on this hill yelling indignantly at the two of us. (laughs) Shoot me, cowards. You didn't. (laughs) Well, I mean, we could have, but it's also one of those things where it's like, he's right. (laughs) You didn't want to make a martyr of me. (laughs) He will come back stronger than ever. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm the only one who knows where the ammunition and the bombs are. 
Uh, so really quick, in case you have not watched our one and a half streams of Satisfactory. Satisfactory is a base building automation game where you're trying to colonize a foreign planet and you just like link a bunch of horrible conveyor belts together and make terrible, terrible factories. I have Speak made brilliant factories, thank you very much. Yeah. I've actually made brilliant factories. I need to connect them. There's just like that little bit of space. I need to like do some ramps. Zach built some bullshit on top of one of them, which will make it harder, but... I think that's... If I remember right, that's building cable and circuit boards. I think that was the case. I think it's just cable on my base, and the cable goes off somewhere else to become <laughs> circuit boards. <laughs> I'm actually pretty good at finding the resources I need in order to build something or coming up with how to do it. The problem is I don't really organize any of it, which is one of the reasons why I'm really glad Jeremy is around because he actually can do that. Like, yeah. I mean, I have currently built all but one of our transportation things and done almost all of the interacting with it. I've actually tried to get away from using conveyor belts to do everything, even though it's technically more power efficient to use conveyor belts because they don't require power. But on the other hand, the larger transportation things are just more fun, I think. Drones so are that. cool. Uh, yeah, Zach told me that we have gotten drones, and I am excited for that. So I have built two drone ports. No, I built three drone ports, one of which doesn't have a drone stationed at it, because it is where the other two deliver stuff to. Gotcha. Um, they shoot through batteries so fast. Yeah, I was going to say the reason that, that uh, Jeremy builds beautiful factories is because the rest of us muck everything up, and then Jeremy comes in and organizes shit, and then we build another horrible thing over there. So. I, I've given up. I've <laughs> I Really, I just w went to Pittsburgh, and it was like, can I fix Pittsburgh? Like, I, I'm not going to build anything myself. You guys are too far ahead. Can I fit Pittsburgh? Why do you need 530 screws, or making 130, and dividing them between four things? <laughs> I... I, I've it just seemed Pittsburgh like a good office. idea at the at the time. It's out in the boonies. I don't have to care. Well, it produces some stuff. I don't care about it. <laughs> the problem, Tyler, is that whenever you get like whenever you're at the base and you're like, oh, this isn't working like it should. I guess I'll go find where the problem is. You end up in Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> but Pittsburgh isn't even sending things all the way to the base. Well, maybe this isn't Pittsburgh. I don't know where Pittsburgh is. <laughs> Pittsburgh is up the ramps. Yeah, that's where it is. I also love that it is a feature that we've just called the ramps. Um. Well, like, if you have seen it, I think they were on the half stream before technical difficulties knocked that one down, which we should probably try and set aside a time to actually do yeah, that. Yeah, I should probably actually fix that at some point. But also. Um, we have these two really big ramps. Therefore, they are referred to as the ramps because that's what they are. Um, and I built Pittsburgh at, out in this little valley. And I'm climbing a staircase. I mean, to I Pittsburgh. I also built a nitrogen farm. What do we, what do we use nitrogen for? Yes. Okay. So we're actually working currently on getting nuclear power online. It's just going to take some time because we need to create hazmat suits. So we need fabric, which is annoying because it can't be automated because it requires plants and you can't automate automate plant demolition. I feel yeah. like I should be able to make a drone that just goes out and cuts down trees, right? Like a lawnmower drone? Yeah. But it also requires uh, mycelia, so... And I feel like I should be able to have a mushroom farm. You can do this in Minecraft. So the game is designed, like Tyler said, basically about building more and more intricate factories in order to build more and more intricate things. We've got two trains running. They do totally different things. Two trucks running. They do similar things. One I didn't realize I, that you could automate trucks either. That's kind of neat. I, I guess we have two truck depots, three trucks. One of the trucks 
specifically was designed because I wanted to use a truck to send steel from New Pittsburgh to the base of the ramps to, in order to help produce encased industrial beams. But I needed to get gas to that depot. So I built a second truck, which involved building a huge ramp road above our base in order to send fuel to this other location. I was telling Zach the other day, I really want like freight shipping in this game, but there are no oceans. So <laughs> what else have you been playing, Zach? I've actually been playing a lot of League of Legends again. Like I'm, ge- I'm actually kind of getting back into the full-fledged game. I've been playing a lot of the AR Earth mode that's out right now because it's a uh, it's a limited game mode, and I just like yeah, I'll I'll play this for a little bit, which stands for all random ultra rapid fire. So okay. you get a random champion, and then you get the the game itself is designed basically almost no cooldowns on abilities and whatnot. 90% cooldown reduction, 90% attack speed boost, stuff like that. Absurd. That's kind of the point. It's like playing Street Fighter on turbo mode. I don't know what that exactly means, but like you don't require mana or anything like that, so... <laughs> no mana? Oh, wow. Okay, this seems bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, I played one game where I was on Senna that it uh, I managed to steal the Baron. The other team was trying to take take Baron. I killed one guy and then was hanging around near like, I, I can't fight all of them. I don't exactly know what to do. So I just fired at the Baron and then auto attacked it and was like, hey, I stole the Baron somehow. <laughs> Not sure how this works. Uh, it, it's It's been fun. Like th- There have been some frustrating moments because it's, it's any multiplayer game that's competitive. There's going to be frustrating moments. But I've been having a lot of fun playing it. In part, I started watching the LCS again. It's one of the reasons why I uh, decided to start picking up the game again. So, you know, they, they just announced their next support, which I'm scared of. <laughs> so, what? Why are you scared? They have an ability on a basic ability that gives someone a speed up. And if they die while that's active, the person comes back for three seconds. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that seems like a dangerous mechanic. And another so. ability that if she hits it, causes anybody hit by it on the other team to attack their teammates. Also very interesting. I was expecting to be a lot more confused when I started playing the game again, but then it's like, no, I actually know, like, all of my knowledge pretty much translates. Yeah, it hasn't changed on a fundamental level, so. I mean, I've only been out of it for, a, for like, a season and a half entirely, so that's also probably why, whereas, like, coming in for multiple seasons behind, you'd probably be really confused, like, where did my actual, where, where did old Scion go if you're too far back? That's right. Yeah, and no, I keep uh, thinking about picking up Identity V again, uh, which was like the Dead by Daylight, but on your phone, and also it's Coraline skinned uh, game. But they release like three characters a season, and I've been out of it for like two years, so I have no idea what the meta is on that anymore. What else have you been playing, Zach? Weirdly enough, I I have been playing a lot of The Sims 4 recently. <laughs> Because a lot of it is like I play a game, a couple games a league, and I get really frustrated. So I was like, I need a, I need an unwindy thing. So I just load up The Sims Four because it's The Sims. There's no frustration there for the most part, except for the fact that when sometimes I'm like, go here, do this. Why are you not going anywhere? Oh, The Sims. So I still think The Sims Two is probably the best, having played all of them at this point. But I'm not sure if it's actually the best or if I have some massive nostalgia blankers for it. Anything else, Zach? I'm sure there's been a lot. It's just been because it's been a long time. Yeah. Is there anything else you want um, to share? Oh, Maybe a better way to phrase the question. I played all the way through the uh, the yellow campaign of Fire Emblem Three Houses. That's an okay game. <laughs> an okay game. I, I, I keep considering picking up Awakening, but Awakening I, is fun. 
Awakening is the best grindy Fire Emblem. Do you want to grind and give some characters some super overpowered abilities? Yeah, kind of. Then yeah, actually, you should pick so. up Awakening. And also, eugenics, do you want to breed your characters to create the best possible daughter for everybody? Because <laughs> that one was, I, if I'm right, that was supposed to be like the last Fire Emblem, so they crammed in a lot of stuff they wanted to use. Do you want to marry the dragon lolly so that your kids will be dragons? And that's definitely the only reason. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I, I had fun playing playing that game again. There, there's some problems with it, largely because it's like it has four different stories. It's like, no, it doesn't. It has basically two and a half. Edelgard's story still doesn't feel like it completely finishes. It's like, all right, we completed Act 2, and that's the game. And the church was evil all along. You'd never guess in a JRPG. (laughs) (laughs) Although you do have to have a certain level of tolerance for running around the monastery every so often. I think part of my my biggest problem is actually their, their core concept with that one. Because you can, in theory, make any character into any class you want. Okay. Which, in a way, robs them a little bit of what makes each character individual. They're a little less unique. And in some cases, like because especially the way they had the magic system work with dark magic, it's like, okay, I made this guy into my mage, but he only actually gets three spells. Whereas, like, this other character that I wanted to make into a fighter this playthrough gets, like, ten and the most powerful long-range black magic spell in the game. So, oh, interesting. Okay, so just because you make them a mage, they don't all get access to the same spell list? Nope. Okay. It'd be nice if they did. I, I like how magic is treated in it in general, but the fact that they have to learn each skill, although magic users are actually way more powerful than your standard, standard classes, because since anybody can use any weapon, it does, it's not class restricted. Okay. Um, you need the proficiency with a given weapon in order to promote the class, but you can grind those if you want, generally speaking. But or mages, tutor them. But mages can use all the weapons and magic. Oh, so you, you should maybe just have a mage, it sounds like. <laughs> I'm, Yeah. like You need one guy with armor. You need one woman with armor named Edelgard and an axe, and she's <laughs> on a wyvern in front of everybody. I'm toying with the concept of like a Fire Emblem challenge run where you like only have a team of axe users or something. I don't know how disastrously that would go. <sighs> Depends on the game, really. In some games, like there are more than enough good axe users... And low enough an amount of swords that you're that you're not going to run into too many problems. But like, if you wanted to do that with say Blazing Blade, Blazing Sword, Reckon like Ken, whatever the one we one of the ones we talked about for the podcast. <laughs> there are so many characters in that that have swords that would be a problem. And since two of the the lords, the hardest part I think would be using lords that have axes because yeah. there are so few of them. In general, lords use swords in Fire Emblem games. Sword lords. Which is actually kind of funny because the lore, the three lords that you can pick from don't have swords as one of their defaults. Yeah, but Sothis, the character that is you... Or no, I'm sorry. Sothis is the goddess. Your Byleth. Byleth. That's is the, the dumb name they came or up it's with when Dad put her here. in Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> well, it, that is the name that comes up when you start the game. Mm-hmm. It is insert name here for your character, but... Byleth is the one that they gave it to him. Has swords as their standard, but like Edelgard is axes. Golden Deer guy is Golden Deer guy. <laughs> Claude, that's his Claude. name. Has I mean, bows. He's and got then... Hilda. Claude's weapon is Hilda. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, what? what is the last guy's name? Dimitri. That's why it took me a second. Uses spears as his default. So it's kind of a little bit of a weird, like, I'm confused. Do you want Edelgard, the fire Pokemon? <laughs> or <laughs> anything else, Zach? 
Finn, a lot of league, a lot of a lot of sac- satisfactory. Like that is a that is a game that weirdly consumed my attention this last couple of weeks. I yeah, I will say I'm super glad I was not expecting it to hook you. I so. said I said last couple of weeks I, I should amend that statement to January. Yeah, just all of January. <laughs> yeah, so I would recommend picking it up, especially if you have a group of friends to play it with. Because I find that's what I really enjoy about that game. is like, hey, look, I built a thing. And Jeremy goes, dear God, he built a thing. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, God. Why? <laughs> no, usually I don't look at the thing. Usually the thing like <laughs> just appears over my base. And I'm like, this this thing doesn't even make sense. Why, why do you have so many screws and no rods? You know that you're building more rods than you're needing the screw thing with your screws. You could just... Ugh. What have you been playing, Tyler? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Not actually a ton. I was going to say my uh, cooldown game recently has been Spelunky 2. I'm slowly getting better enough at that that I think I'm about to beat it for the first time. No, I don't think I have anything new to say there. Spelunky 2 is like really just the same game as Spelunky, just with like different levels. Just uh, more 2. Yeah, more the number 2. Also slowly working my way through Phoenix Wright 2. One of these days, I'll finish it. I should get back to that. Uh, that was a fun game. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty fun. I've been kind of in the mood for it again. Um, yeah, mostly like I've just been like preposterously busy, so I haven't had a ton of time for games. I played Superland for a little bit. I'm probably going to go finish that. It's like a sandbox puzzle physics simulator action game. I don't know. Um, That's an awful lot of buzzwords you just used there. Yeah, it's a... Zel- Erotic block puzzle game. It's a <laughs> puzzle, physics-based puzzle Zelda Metroidvania. That was more buzzwords It somehow. was, yes. Um, but I think it accurately fits into that. It's like It's got like an adventure and exploration element, but also it has like a bunch of backtracking, but also there, it's just got like a bunch of puzzles, and that's mostly what you're finding when you explore. So... I don't know. It's a fun game. It's really cute. It was, it was made by one guy over the course of like three months or something. And that definitely shows, but I'm thoroughly impressed with the amount of effort he put into this game, given that. I just listened to you describe that whole thing, and my immediate thought was, that sounds awful. Uh, yeah, probably not your jam. Um, it's only barely my jam, so which is why I have not finished it yet. But it's short enough that I think I'm just going to finish it off and uh, say, yep, I sure did play Superland that one time. I'm trying to think of anything. I picked up a bunch of games recently that have been on my list for a while. Uh, oh, there's a game called Legend of Heroes, I think. Oh, no. Super generic game uh, or name. Uh, but it's basically a remake of Heroes of Mind Magic 3, except with real-time combat um, that I picked up the demo for, which is pretty fun. It's not actually out yet, but excited for that one that has a full release. It's been a blast. So like turn-based, but then real-time combat. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, turn-based when you're exploring the map um, and basically the exact same mechanics there. And then in combat, you have, like, hordes that you can direct or you can just leave them be and they'll just go do whatever they're going to do. Like Total War style almost? Maybe. I've never played Total War, so. I couldn't get my head around it. So I I think the real interesting one that has some meat behind it is I picked up uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus, uh, which is apparently oh. the official name. So yeah, Yes, it is. Tyler, I have a story about Arceus. You thought I was just going to be Zach because I was going to complain. I have a goddamn rant. So just <laughs> before we get into it, because it's related to, but I don't want it to affect the conversation on Arceus, what do you think of the game? Just high, super high level. Uh, Overall. I am having fun with it. I am too. I think it's great. Zach, would you like to buy this copy for $60 from me? <laughs> what? what? I'm so what? <laughs> I'm so what? <laughs> I'm 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 what? I'm uh, also confused because Jeremy has a physical copy. Yeah, I assume you downloaded it and then also got a physical copy from someone. So my brother's going through a tough time right now. No need to elaborate on that. My brother's coping mechanisms are riding his bike and playing Pokemon. Okay. 
So for Christmas, I pre-ordered him Pokemon Legends Arceus. Okay. Because I figured he would want that game. And yes. he was excited for it. He, unlike me, likes physical copies of things. So I pre-ordered him a physical copy as is his preference. And I was going around being like, okay, are there any pre-order bonuses? Like, where should I pre-order this from? Get it on time. And there weren't really. So I went to PokemonCenter.com, the official Pokemon merchandise store, to pre-order this game. Because they, as a pre-order bonus, also had an Arceus plushie. And it was like, this, oh, that's fun. this will ship separately from the game. And I'm like, oh, it would be great if it shipped before Christmas. And then I could wrap it and give that, that, that to him. And be like, also, you got the game. It did not ship before Christmas, but that's fine. It said it may. That's fine. So Christmas comes around. I give him the receipt to the pre-order. Uh, <laughs> I also got him Pokemon Diamond. I'm like, yeah, it'll come in January, obviously. And I got some Nintendo eShop cards, which with which I bought Metroid Dread, which I have not played, <laughs> and also pre-ordered Pokemon Legends Arceus because I wanted a digital-ass copy because I'm not going to the store like a rube. <laughs> have a physical little SD card with my game on it that can be stepped on and crushed. So my brother's real excited for the game. He's like, oh, man, I'm trying to stay off Reddit. I don't want spoilers. And I'm like, you know, I haven't gotten an email saying that shipped yet. That's kind of weird. And going through, you know what? I never got an email from them when I ordered it either. That's strange. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I, but I do have this physical receipt I printed you. So I bought it. We're fine. They took my money. We're fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no. I think what, I can see where this is going. I, I'm not quite sure where this is going, and I'm, I'm dreading it. Uh, the game came out on Friday, January 28th. Sure That's going to be important. Yep. My brother's copy doesn't come in the mail. And that's upsetting. And they still haven't given me an email saying it shipped yet. So I go on the website. I, I ask my brother for the receipt that he has like folded up and thrown in the shoebox somewhere. <laughs> I type in the order number to recover it. And it's like, your order is processing. What? <laughs> I'm like, huh? What does that mean? It's like processing is uh, uh, occurs after pre-order and before shipping. When an order is processing, it is too late to cancel it. <laughs> uh, so it's friday night i'm doing some googling seeing if there are some other people having this problem what i find is a tweet from pokemon center on their twitter saying hey we're having some problems due to the global shipping crisis with our copies of pokemon legends arceus so if you want to cancel your edition you'll need to by 11:59 p.m on january 29th i'm like <laughs> okay that gives me a day i can't cancel it because it's processing I guess I'm going to open a customer support ticket and have a customer uh, request on a Friday night and hope they see it before tomorrow at midnight when I need to cancel this by. My first email is them being like, hey, we got your ticket. Do you want to read this FAQ you already read three times and see if the solution is there? Uh, and the most relevant FAQ thing is like, hey, did you get an email saying we canceled your Arceus plushie? Don't worry. It's coming. We just had to cancel all of them. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, now I'm more worried about it. Also, I didn't get this email. <laughs> So I do not get a response Friday night. So I don't get a response on Saturday. And now what I have gotten my brother for Christmas is you have to wait to play the video game you're excited for. <laughs> and he has the next two days off. So I go to Target and get him a fucking physical copy because Target has plenty of them. <laughs> so and I'm like, hey, your game came. It was daylight. That's too bad. But here you are. Now you have it for your two days off. Everything is fine. Get no reply on Sunday. Monday, the game comes. <laughs> so still no response from customer support now that it's Monday, a work day. You want to want to know what email I woke up to today? Oh, did you finally get a response on customer support? No, but I did get an email telling me that the game had shipped. <laughs> <laughs> and another email saying, hey, your game arrived. <laughs> they came in at the same time. So it's like, if you have any problems with your order, click here. So I click here. 
and it's like, how would you rate this order? And I'm about to go one star when right next to it, it's like return. If you need to do a return, click here. I'm like, oh, that's fine. So I click on return. It's like our return policy is put in this number, which is not your order number. You have to pay the shipping to ship it back to us and we'll give you your money back as soon as we get the item. I'm like, okay, that's all reasonable. Sales on trading cards and digital goods are final. Okay, that's perfectly reasonable. Go through, I have to use my order number that I have to type into a physical field like a barbarian <laughs> to get this number that they want. And you want to know what I find when I type this number in? Non-ref- Pre-orders are non-refundable. No items on this order are refundable. <sighs> yeah. So you want to buy this for 60 bucks, Zach? I wasn't planning on it. <laughs> but sure. Transaction occurred. You have Tyler's seal of approval. So that, you want to talk about Arceus? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I, I have one more question to ask you. Okay. What about the plushie? They said they will be shipping them in February. Okay. Which is, uh, so I yeah. know if I get it next year sometime, I'll be happy. <laughs> All right. Well, I've got my fingers crossed that that comes in oh, for oh, you. So PokemonCenter.com, first official enemy of last time on videos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, Harmony Gold is unofficial. Well, Harmony Gold is a personal. I think I would agree with that one, at least. I was going to say, also, Zach, if you do not want that copy, I know someone who is going to buy it anyway, and I will just buy that copy and give it to them. So, up to you. Yeah, My return policy is very open. (laughs) Uh, No one saw the money change hand on the mics, but it already has. (laughs) I just happened to have it on me at the time. So how far are you in Arceus? I have just beaten the Cleavor. I don't okay. think that's too much of a spoiler. Uh, I'm slightly so. further than you, but okay. I have not beaten the next noble Pokemon yet. My biggest problem with this game is I just want to play this game. So I will say I have played other games in between. I'm not always in the mood for it. It's a pretty fun game, though. Like, it looks like butt. There's like no there's no way around it's it. It's super weird that everyone's saying that because it looks absolutely fine to me. It looks like what I want a console Pokemon game to look like. The only problem I have with it is the professor always pops in when I am too feet in front of him and not before and he's the only npc that does that but (laughs) that seems like it's from 2002 how's the open world aspect because i know that uh, in the like wild zone is it was it the wild area wild area in pokemon sword and shield it could get a bit laggy at times not bad actually the game is less open world than i think i would describe it as an open world game it's more like monster hunter in that there are regions that you go to and regions have like predictable spawns in like areas basically My one complaint with, like, the open world aspect is that there aren't, like, super cool things to go find in places. Usually what you're going to find is, like, an alpha Pokemon, which are pretty cool, to be fair. But But when you find a rare Pokemon, it feels really good. Like, I found an Eevee, and I almost lost my... Over by that that alpha Rapidash um, is near where I found mine. Yeah, and I was like, oh, it's just an Eevee, and I can go get it. Yes, Uh, (laughs) super exciting. So it's got kind of a Pokemon Go idea where you, like, want to catch everything you see. So you're, like, constantly just, like, making f***s of Pokeballs. Um, I forgot this is not the podcast that we say that word on. (laughs) (laughs) I managed to go my entire rant without it. I'm very proud. (laughs) But, no, so you do make, like, tons and tons of Pokeballs. And the different Pokeballs actually feel pretty unique. Like, they they have different mechanics physically. Like, uh, the heavy ball, instead of, like catching a heavier Pokemon, you can't throw it as far, but if you surprise a Pokemon with it, it has a higher chance, so you just like get right up behind them and just clunk this thing <laughs> on them. Like, it's you, like club. you don't throw it, you just <laughs> smack them over the head with it. Yeah, I mean, I, did, I actually did like when the Pokeballs, you know, they added all these different Pokeballs, and a lot of them did something different and cool. I didn't ever really went out of my way to buy a whole bunch of different Pokeballs unless I was trying to do something very specific. Like, I think I bought a bunch of netballs or whatever it was when I was trying to catch that, uh, the Pokemon in Sun and Moon, the one that evolved into the... Marini? No, not Marini, um... 
Oh, it, uh, the the bug thing. Wimpod. The new, yeah, Wimpod because it, oh, it would run away. Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, Wimpod and Glossopod. That's what it was. So I went out and bought a bunch of netballs for this purpose of trying to catch it because it would always run away like Abras do. The game's crafting system is the most basic-ass crafting system you've ever seen. You go to item you want to craft. If you have the materials, you craft it. But I love the game's gathering system. Yes, the gathering is great. Again, feels a lot like Monster Hunter in that yeah. capacity. But, so but you even kill better. Pokemon and then carve. No, <laughs> but also there's like resources. <laughs> yes, uh, but also there's like resources out of the field and like you yeah. have to know what they look like to go find them. And that's the bit I really like because in most games you would go up to those and you would press A. Yep. In this game, you throw your Pokemon at them. They get the resources for you, and you go on with whatever you were doing. It's really cool. And then your this, Pokemon get some experience for it. Yep. It's actually a really good way to level up low-level Pokemon. Th- this is going to sound really weird. A while back, Jeremy and I, and a couple of other people who aren't on the mics, played a Pokemon RPG. Oh, yeah. This sounds like how I wanted that to be. <laughs> um, the what Weirdly... The obvious comparison point is Breath of the Wild, and it's got some of the Breath of the Wild energy, but it's really not much like it at all, not as much as I would like. What I realize this game is basically like is it's like one of them played Pixelmon at Game Freak. Yes, and I was, was like, thinking that. This game has some good ideas, but it's a janky-ass Minecraft mod that doesn't really play like anyone would want a video game to play. We should make it play smooth as butter and release that video game. So here's, here's the other major question that I have for you to, to start with. There's probably going to come up more. How's the Mons selection? Like, are, are we talking about a selection of everything over all of the games? No. Or is it a like a Johto-specific thing? It, well, it's Sinnoh. It, it is actually... It's not Which one is that? Four. Gen- yeah. Um, but it's not Diamond actually- and Pearl? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that would be fun because I never spent a lot of time with Diamond and Pearl. But it's and, also not. It's I, like a whole unique region, really. It is, but it's definitely Diamond and Pearl leaning. The specifically, it takes place in that area before in ancient times. And your first mission is catch a Badoof, a Starly, and a Shinx, which are like the first three Pokemon you would catch in Diamond and Pearl if you were just playing I actually kind of like Shinx. Yeah, Shinx is great. Oh, um, yeah, it's one of my Pokemon that I'm using. It's got terrible competitive stats, but I don't care. Luxray's badass. So. I will say, looking at this, the Pokemon trainer design looks a little lazy. You could also change your outfit like dramatically. So. Okay, just the, the baseline design is just like, here are the the characters from that game again. When we put a ninja scarf on them. Yep. I don't think what we've mentioned is that the game oh. actually begins with you being yeah. isekai'd. Yeah, that's so. what I wanted to start with. You know how most Pokemon games uh, start with the professor being like, are you a boy or a girl? This one starts with God being like, I am what you know as Arceus. I wish to knoweth thine form. <laughs> that's great. You're it's like, so good. There's that owl from Sun and Moon on this. Yeah, yep. it's one of the starters. The, the, they... They also seem to have taken the three worst starters. Uh, they are from Sun and Moon, I actually quite like. But they're like, what are the three worst starters we've ever made? We'll make those the starters in this game. Yeah, I think I'd have to go with that owl because Cyndaquil was was my favorite of those three starters, but he's awful, and I can't even remember what that other one is they, they also gave them all different final forms that are specific to this region, so they all have oh, different really? typing and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Typhlosion is Ghost Fire, which sounds like a rad-ass type. It also looks pretty cool. It's got, like, purple flames around its okay, neck. Okay, so here's, uh, I guess, the, the most important question for me in that case. What did the two of you start with? Yeah, I was going to ask Jeremy, also Oshawott, because it's it's the only one of the three I haven't ever used. So. Same. Same. That's why I started with I it. actually haven't used either the grass one or Oshawott, so I'll just use the grass one, because yep. I generally don't start with grass. Like, now that I think about it, I, I, I said that and then was trying to rack my brain in which I went into a game and started with the grass starter. Um, I've done Bulbasaur and uh, 
Chikorita before, yeah. but Bulbasaur is definitely the one I've used the most, and I used the the Owl when I played Sun and Moon. Yeah, I also did Rowlet. Uh, I love Decidueye. It's like one of my favorite Pokemon. Yeah, so. I thought you used. You're thinking no, we, Chespin. We got, no, we got we got mixed up. I think because I, I I thought in uh, Sun and Moon we also did the pact of who picks. We're going to pick the champ, uh, the character we're going to use, or the the starter we're going to use. Yeah, Rowlet is Sun and Moon, right? Yeah, Rowlet yeah. is Sun and Moon. Yeah, yeah. well, I, that's definitely the one I use in that game. So I, I remember because I tried to jump kick it and I failed. <laughs> because it's a ghost. I have a small a handful of complaints about the game, but I think it plays really fun. And there's like so much of it plays like a Pokemon game. Like it doesn't play like a Pokemon game in a lot of weird ways. It plays like a game someone growing up Pokemon thought of in their head and was like, this would be a cool video game. Yeah, but that's one of the things I have been telling people about it is it almost doesn't feel like a Pokemon game. And I mean that in the best possible way. So <laughs> I got to say, Tyler, just from this uh, discussion, I think I'm keeping it. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, no, it's a ton of fun. I've. It looks like a blast. Yeah, no, that's uh, like uh, there's also like a bunch of just like really small UI slash like and yeah. feedback things that are really nice. Yeah, it plays like Nintendo used to make video games, right? Where it just plays like a video game should, and Nintendo hasn't had that in so long. And and it does also from listening to you guys talk. I actually haven't seen very much with regards to Pokemon Arceus. Yeah, me neither. Like I heard I it was kind blind. of coming out, and I didn't really pay so. any attention to it. It kind of sounds like listening to you guys talk how I wanted the wild area from Sword and Shield to work. Yeah. Now imagine if your conception of what the wild area should have been. It, that's just like the entire game, which like the areas are like pretty fun to explore. Like you have to take different routes. There's fall damage, so you have to like think about whether I want to risk the fall damage or whether I want to risk running through this pile of Geodudes. They can kill you on the map also. So. Your character can die. Uh, You black out, technically. But it's yes. the same damn thing. Yeah. yeah you so, have to avoid Pokemon attacks. And like one of the main strategies, like it, it, you know, this is RPG technology from 1995 that Pokemon dodge ruined. Roll? Yes, you have a dodge roll. But if you throw your Pokemon at the back of a Pokemon, you get a surprise round. So, like, the meta is you dodge roll something to, like, bullet, and then you're behind it, and you throw your Pokemon at it. Or, like, you often pick up a bunch of basically just junk items, but you can use them to huck at Pokemon and stun them temporarily and get the sneak attack on them. All right, this uh, sounds great. We, you know, there's a very good thing that we are where we are recording this. Because you can't just go play it? Yep. <laughs> um we haven't talked about the Pokedex system at all either, which, which I find is, so satisfying. It's so good. Oh, man. Uh, it's like one of my... Okay, so instead of just like you catch a Pokemon, it's in your Pokedex. Now, as you catch a Pokemon, it's in your Pokedex for additional tasks. And there's like for each Pokemon, a set of unique things you have to do to complete their Pokedex. Um, so like for some Pokemon, for like Shinx, for example, it's like number of times you've seen it use bite, number of them you've captured, number of the... Uh, for Starly, it's like how many of them have you caught without them spotting you first? So it basically encourages you to cycle to cycle your team. Yes. Yeah. That's uh, also one of the fun things is like Pokemon don't automatically evolve. They basically just pop up the thing saying, hey, it's ready to evolve now. So like if you want to get those extra bite counts for a Shinx, you can use your own Shinx and just send it in combat and you have it use bite over and over. And then when you're done, now you can evolve it. Same thing that like you have an infinite move pull. Uh, Temtem also did this. Um, but, like, all the moves you ever learn are just in a move pool. As long as you're not in combat, you can swap them out. Um, so. I, I gotta say, I really like that. Like, the, the Pokemon you have to learn, you you know, only will have four moves and you, and you have to forget. I feel like that's kind of outdated at this point. I mean, the HMs were too. Actually, HMs are a great segue for this. Yeah. How do the TMs and HMs work? Are they I was the, just gonna get into that. Are you they the. You don't have TMs and ones? HMs, you have a trainer who just charges you money to teach the moves to your Pokemon, which makes money actually valuable. Yep. 
because the other thing you can do with money is one of my favorite things in the game. Such a dumb like video game thing for extra bag space because it's like a survival game. You build, yes. get stuff to craft. You don't buy better bags. You pay a guy to teach you how to pack your bag better, and then you can fit one more thing in each time, and it gets more expensive each time. So again, money is actually valuable. Yeah, which means inventory <laughs> management is actually kind of like in Monster Hunter, like you want to figure out what your kit going out is going to be. Except for Monster Hunter, I never really paid that close of attention to it, despite it's like, do I have my trap? Yes. Do I have my nutrients? Yes. Do I have my healing things? Yes. Okay. The rest of these 900 spaces I have to take into the field do not matter. Yeah, and it's a lot more limited than this, which I think kind of discourages going on super long outings because eventually you're going to pick up a... Like, basically, items will stack per type, and it kind of discourages picking up too many different types of items. I've never run into it, but I've almost run into it a bunch. The last thing I want to talk about on it is the battle system is different in such a fascinating way. And the fact that no one has information on it is really weird. The back end is like completely different in such a way that if you don't really know Pokemon, you might not even really notice other than where they draw your attention to it. They've put in a Final Fantasy X-ass initiative counter. And now when a Pokemon uses a move enough, they master it. And now you can use it in agile style, which is faster and you can go again sooner, but it does less damage. Or strong style, which is the opposite, which is like a mini bravely default mechanic. That sounds a little bit like how the lanes worked in uh, Legends of Runeterra, Ruined King. Yeah, Legends of Runeterra, the Ruined King, a League of Legends story. Legends of Runeterra is their card game. Yeah, I'm amazed by how much new stuff they've put in here all at once and how much of it just works. Yeah, Uh, no, I was going to say I actually really like the battle mechanics. Also, using like Agile style, like Quick Attack or something means you're like way more likely to just go like two or three times in a row, which is pretty great. I think I need to call in sick to work tomorrow. (laughs) It's a good video. No, I'm not going to do that. It's weird, but like one of my favorite mechanics is like it's almost kind of a like beginning of the age of steam power setting um so like when you toss pokeballs they like make a little firework animation and it's it's so satisfying i will say the one thing i think they took a step back on is you cannot access your pc from anywhere like you have been able to in the last couple of games oh that's but the that, last that, thing that, i want that to actually talk makes about makes sense for the setting it does except you have a cell phone from god so uh, well you got isekai you have your cell phone and arceus possessed it and he does text you your missions <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, um, i the first time i went out was like oh man i hope i'll like how does the pc system in this work because like i hope i can change my pokemon and stuff i love that it's just a pasture because they yes, haven't that's funny PCs yet but it, that is the one bit of like ludo narrative dissonance i have is like whenever you catch pokemon after you have six they just go to the pasture and also, you can't access it while you're out in the field. Oh, um, you, you, if you talk to the shop guy, he will let you. Oh, that's true. Yeah. At, at, so there are base camps also, again, like Monster Hunter uh, that you can just like start at. Uh, there was a guy at each base camp who will allow you to swap out your items and stuff and your Pokemon. No, I really like the game so far. Um, what, what star rank are you at, of curiosity? Three. Okay. I am also three. I've done a lot of just like messing around and catching stuff and completing dex entries. So. Yeah, like I said, I want the game to get out of the way and let me play the game is my (laughs) biggest complaint about it. And there's not that much. There's like a 30-minute-ish tutorial slash intro to the scene. The story isn't good, but it's so much better by Pokemon standards and they're doing so many things Pokemon doesn't do. It like, I feel like tricks you into thinking it's much better than it is. Well, I mean, the last few Pokemon stories have been pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, it's Pokemon. Um, I'm not here for the story. Um, the gameplay in this is just very solid. It just controls well. My only my only lament is like, man, I wish I could move a little faster and not have to summon a uh, mount for that. Build yourself some Blade Runners. You'll be fine. Exactly. 
There was one other thing I was thinking. Uh, have you used the farm much? Yes, like, okay. I have used it. I mean, it just seems like a basic farm mechanic of just give us some money and we'll give you some items in a little bit. Yeah. Are, are there other things you unlock yes. with that eventually? Because you, like, at, I think right where you are, you have a quest to unlock the next tier, and I assume there will be more after That's that. That's fair. Literally, the only thing I've used it for is apricorns. Yeah, because so, uh, you never have enough of them. Yeah, and I always have plenty of medicinal items. I'm so. assuming apricorns are what you use to make pokeballs. Yeah. yeah, one of the ingredients. That's also one of the interesting mechanics is like you can't like you do get great balls, which are objectively better. They're just like a strict upgrade over pokeballs. They're also a lot more expensive. So early game, it's actually kind of like, what do I want to spend my apricorns on? Yeah, because I've found that in more recent games, I usually it's like, I have all these Pokeballs, and now I can buy Great Balls. I'm never buying Pokeballs again. Yeah, no, why would you? And in this game, I think there's actually a little... It also... So it uses the same common resource of Apricorn, but there's like a different other resource that they both use. And for Great Balls, it's it requires both a different other resource and a whole new resource. So like, I can see where that progression tree is like... When you're transitioning between them, it becomes a lot more important. Um, but at some point, I assume like you just have enough resources that you just only ever use Great Balls after a while. Um, and similarly, probably it's going to be the same thing for Ultra Balls. I really like it. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's just like also just rad, like Jeremy said, to just come across a rare Pokemon or like the first time I saw an Abra, I'm like, hell yeah, I want a Kadabra so bad. Uh, so I just immediately caught the first Abra I saw. I need to try and if I want to get a Psychic for something like that, I need to try and branch out because it's always either Kadabra or Gardevoir are oh. always the Psychics I use. I mean, they're the good ones. I also, I don't think I've seen any other psychic Pokemon yet. I haven't. I could have gotten an Espeon, but didn't. I, it ended up being a Sylveon because I even knew baby doll eyes. Yeah, I was going to say, how does Evolution work in this? I have not <laughs> looked it up. I haven't looked it up specifically. Okay. I found a mossy rock that was just like a rock in the forest covered in moss. And I'm like, I wonder if this is a mossy rock. My Eevee can evolve. Let's go. And it turned into a Sylveon. Now, now that I think about it, my first one also evolved into a Sylveon already, so, um, which I, I'm not complaining. Sylveon's my favorite evolution, and, and so. In the recent games, Eevee evolves into Sylveon if it knows a fairy-type mood, and yes. my new baby doll eyes, so I think that's why. Yeah, uh, it's like a combination of friendship and having a yeah. fairy-type, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. What I, I highly recommend it. It's, yeah. it's a ton of fun, and I'm only probably like a quarter of the way through the game right now, so. Yeah, I don't even think that. Yeah, yeah, maybe not even that, and there's like a ton of post-game stuff, so. And the side quests are fun. I, we don't need to go in on that oh, because... Yeah, I mean, really quick, it just like shows you when you can pick up a new side quest, then you go and do a side quest. The thing I like about it is the side quest involves giving someone a Pokemon. They just are with the Pokemon that you gave them forever. Uh, There's one in particular. Uh, what did you name the Wormhole? Beautifica, I think. Okay, I went with Bugene because Bugene <laughs> is such a good name. So <laughs> you, uh, you know the twist with that, right? Oh, I'm sure. I don't know, but I'm sure it evolves into a Dustox. Yeah, it does. So... <laughs> That's the joke. So now it's a dust ox named Eugene. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right. Anything else, Tyler? Nope. That was it. Mostly I wanted to talk about Arceus. Um, and man, did we do that. So yeah. <laughs> I wanted to do that. I, I had a rant. I, I did it. The only other thing I've been playing, again, in my role as Zach, I got to play some Wee Bass Gotcha games. <laughs> <laughs> so the, I'm still playing all three of mine. So the life hack I learned from my, for myself is that if you play a gacha game that they discontinued the U.S. server in and you have to go through an emulator and play on the Japanese server, you just can't do microtransactions, so your wallet is perfectly safe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like that would do that. So I've been playing Magia Record, the Madoka Magica gacha game. Uh, how many Cubes do you have? Uh, zero. But uh, because Gacha is suffering, he is the icon for the gacha system. It's just Cubes. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> 
Uh, it's pretty good. I got a mommy tome away, so that's all I need. She shoots things. Yep, no, that tracks. Yeah, wh- what are the mechanics of that particular gacha, out of curiosity? I, I quite like them. It's a disc-based combat system, so every magical girl has five discs, and you have a team of five magical girls. There are three discs, which are Excel, which is a single target attack that gives you mana charge which is a single target attack that you however successive charges you use your next attack is more powerful based on how many times you use charge and blast which is an aoe attack that does not give you mana okay Uh, every magical girl has some combination of those to be five discs and you have a team of five magical girls and every turn you randomly draw five discs and you use them to determine your moves if you use all discs from the same magical girl, then she does extra damage. Or if you do all the same type of disc, you get a bonus depending on what the type of disc is. Okay. Then there's a team-up system where once a magical girl has used a thing three times in combat, she can give her disc to another magical girl, and then they get a buff depending on the what the magical girl did. Interesting. Um, there, when you get to 100 mana, you get a special attack. That's very standard. Maybe the most interesting mechanic story thing of the game is when you fully unlock a magical girl, she can go over 100 mana. And if you get to 200, she gets to use a doppel, which she basically she summons her witch form for a second and doesn't attack. And then goes, oh, that was weird. <laughs> 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 which is fun and different. This sounds like it has a lot, of, a lot in combat with how the Fate Go system works. People have compared it a lot to Fate Go. I don't know how that game works, so I don't really know. But just having heard you talk about it a little bit, I thought it was similar to. And people make that comparison a lot. So I think it is fair. Do you know who made it? Uh, Fun Samurai? I, I do not know the name of the company. Okay, Something then, like that. Because I think originally Fate Go was Delightworks. So I was just curious if it was the same people. I just want to go through like the list of all gotcha game publishers and just like... <laughs> see how many of them are just like random word combinations like that so yeah that's pretty much all i have been playing other than the assignment which was bioshock the first thing you can get from magia record i think i mean i guess they're suffering both of them (laughs) (laughs) like i said i really don't like bioshock but it's a beloved classic that everyone says you should play so i like bioshock i don't know that i agree with the everyone should play i like bioshock um i can't recommend it as like the canon of video games so. Not in the same way I could recommend the original Halo or Doom. Yeah. So, yeah, you said you wanted to start with the plot, Zach. And I feel like I have a lot of problems with this game. And I most of them are actually gameplay problems. So I wanted to focus on that. But I also really don't like the way this game tells its story. What n- narrative elements are, do you not like? I feel the hook is very weak. I guess the hook is look at how cool this place is, which is a thing we have down later. Yeah, but I feel like it's really weird that I just grab this radio and just listen to this guy who's like, you should come into this hell city that is clearly a hell city and not wait for the surface for help. And then you should, uh, I don't know, kill a bunch of people for me. And hey, I have a family. Oh, turns out I don't have a family. I was tricking you, lol. I've been controlling you the whole time. It was so funny when you thought I had a family. Well, I mean, that is the basic rundown of the story is is more or less pointing out problems in video game stories like the objective is you just have the guy on the radio saying hey go do this thing and so they use that as part of the narrative in this one which like i think was a cool idea because it's always preface whenever you have an objective that you are required to do it the guy always prefaces the objective that you have to complete with the the phrase that goes into it i think at this point it's far enough back he always says, would you kindly like, would you kindly pick up that radio? So you go pick it up because that's what the game is expecting of you. And then, like you said, later on, you find it. But 
twist, part of the, you're actually brainwashed. Part of the something. problem with that aspect is that even after you you know find out about it, it doesn't really change anything. Like the game doesn't try and do anything to change how the how the functionality is. You're still being talked at by people over your radio and told to go do things. Yeah, like how would the game have played differently if that were not the case, right? Like what would what would the objectives have been? Yeah, to the part where I kind of Mandela affected myself on the plot of this game because. As I recall, I thought when you got to Andrew Ryan, he was cryogenically frozen and already dead. And then you went to Atlas and he revealed the like mind control thing and made you kill him. And then you just escaped. But no, the guy who can mind control you is like, and now I have to kill you because you were very useful and are under my control. So you must die now. <laughs> and then the little sisters come to save you, even if you've been murdering them and haven't saved one of them yet. And then you go kill that guy um, because he's an asshole. <laughs> because the person on the radio told you to. Yeah, so like the like all the way up to and and Jeremy said off the mics that like after you kill Ryan, the game kind of goes, goes downhill. Down, yeah. uh, I, I think even part I, because of the fact that it's like the, the whole like would you kindly twist and you know you being ordered without you being ordered with this man, uh, Manchurian candidate style trigger word is taken away but you're still doing the exact same thing in the exact same manner and as jeremy said that's one of the things that never really struck right with me of like yes i have been saved by the little sisters who i've been murdering by the score this entire time i always saved them personally because there's no negative effect we'll get to that later too I also, I, like, I think there is an answer to this, but I am so confused by like the when of all this, where like you were raised in rapture and mind controlled and sent to the surface and then called back. How? What? Who? Like there's, there's the question mark, question mark, question mark of it is very confusing to me. And I understand that the game is trying to make this meta commentary, like you said, Zach, about you do the thing because the guy on the radio told you to, and that's what you do in video games. You complete the objective. But I make fun of those video games for having dumb stories, too. And this doesn't feel like it's a clever commentary on that. It feels like it's another of those dumb video games. That is also one of the things that always kind of bothered me about this. It's like, yes, I was grown, you were grown up in Rapture, sent to the surface, then brought back in a plane that was then crashed over Rapture so you could be brought back into Rapture. Yep. You need to Am I the only experience. one that doesn't sound confused? He predicted that you would come at a very specific time. No, the thing uh, is, it's revealed that you were ordered. The, you got the sent the, the at the beginning note saying to do that. Yeah, he's yeah. got a box, and it says, "Would you kindly take over the plane at these coordinates?" So you yep. do that. But why are you out of the city in the first place? Like, is it to disguise you from Ryan, who figures it seems to figure it out pretty damn quick? It's fine. Don't worry yeah. about it. Also, um, why does Ryan have you kill him? Like, that scene is very powerful in a vacuum. The, like, a man chooses, a slave obeys. I understand why people get that tattooed on their arm. It's very powerful in isolation. When you put it in context, it doesn't make any goddamn sense to me. Because so he has control over you. You want, you want my the, no prize answer on this? Sure. It's a combination of things. One, Ryan is already a, a bit insane over the fall of Rapture. And... Two, it's a literal demonstration of, like, you are here to kill me, but you're not here to kill me by your own choice, so I'm going to make a statement by making you kill me because it's my choice. Like I said, that's the reason it's powerful, Zach. It just doesn't make any sense if you consider Ryan to be a character with motivations. <laughs> well, I mean, it, the answer that I gave of, like, he is already a little crazy, 
or a lot crazy makes a little bit of sense, but at the same time, it's feels more like it was included because it's a powerful scene, not that it really makes sense. Yeah, kind of connecting the dot plots, like someone came up with the idea yeah. for the well, scene and didn't know how to get there. Yeah, the thing is, if that's where you're starting and you're working back from that, I think that's an excellent place to start. But they didn't really do a good job. Also, I don't know why Atlas is secretly someone else when he reveals he's evil. Like, Fontaine is foreshadowed before. They kind of tell you some stuff about Fontaine. But that doesn't make him, now I got a gangsta accent and I'm a bad guy. It does not make him a more compelling villain in any way. The only reason why I can see why they would use a different name, at least for, like, I don't know why his accent goes from, I'm assuming, Irish to, like, Bronx. Because he's a con man and he was just pretending to be Atlas with a friendly accent. But, um, <laughs> like, the the name being different would make sense because you find all kinds of things referencing how bad of a guy Fontaine is. So I'm using a fake name makes sense, but why does he have a different accent? Like, did he have a did he have a voice coach? Yep, as I say, he just practices. I was gonna say I think a lot of the story that I preferred in this was actually ambient story via the audio logs, but like I have a lot of problems with those. Yeah, so. that's better. But I have real investment problem of I never feel like the game got you invested in that story, like or its story as a whole. Like I said, my immediate thought was like, okay, but why Atlas? Oh no, your family, Atlas. I hope you didn't just lie about them for no reason because you have complete control of me and don't need to get my sympathy. <laughs> yeah, that is another really weird thing is like, he can literally, he literally is making you do all of this stuff. So why is, why does he feel I need to lie to you? Because it's, it makes a better story for the player. That makes sense. <laughs> Until you start examining it and you start seeing all the strings. Oh, it makes sense. He can break the fourth wall. That's why he does all this. It makes so much sense. Oh, the villain is Deadpool at the end. But unfortunately, it's Deadpool from the Wolverine movie and not Deadpool from the <laughs> Deadpool movie. Like I said, I have a lot of problems with the story. There are things I get about it. This is a lot of people's first view of objectivism and... Unfortunately, a lot of people decided, hey, I'm going to be an objectivist. I saw this thing that was like, hey, objectivism is a terrible idea and will lead to this city literally <laughs> being destroyed by flood. I should be an objectivist. But that's not the story's fault. That's people consuming the story's <laughs> fault. I don't even know that I know exactly what that is. Oh, objectivism is a terrible, uh, amoral capitalist philosophy. You can look into it. It's, it's uh, basically Ayn it's Rand's. Andrew Ryan. Yeah. No, Andrew Ryan is pro-objectivism. I, I would not a say man Andrew is Ryan. entitled to the sweat of his brow. Yeah, yeah that's, I got you. That's very objectivist. Yes, and, and also there should be no regulations on capitalism. They actually are only problematic. <laughs> I've read The Jungle. I disagree. Yeah, so do um, I. But hey, Zach. So does Bioshock. Look what happened to Rapture. Yeah. <laughs> but like I said, that's not the game fault. That some people are like, oh, I've encountered this philosophy for the first time and think I like it now. That's not Bioshock. I'm not fault. examining it too closely. Anyway, that's that's. What, what, but my actual problem is, I feel like the game plays like g hot garbage. I think it just plays all right. See, I actually quite like the game play in in this game. My biggest problems with the gameplay of this game, we're going to get into it a bit in a bit more, is that there are no consequences for doing anything in this uh, game. Zach, if you murder little girls, you will get the bad ending where the woman is very cross with you. <laughs> <laughs> That is the only consequence, though, and it's not very no. exciting. I mean, in theory, if you kill them, if you kill the little girls, you get more Adam. We'll, we'll get to the little girls later. I was just being facetious. I completely agree with you, Zach. Uh, that's not my... That probably is also my biggest problem, though I would not say it's my biggest problem. I think my biggest problem is I don't think the weapons are satisfying. But I think 
what you're talking about might be the bigger problem from an objective point of view. Because if you've not played this game, it's kind of a standard PC shooter where you save and load. But they're like, oh, we're going to put this on console. And people on console don't know how to save and load. So they added the Vita Chambers, which are basically checkpoints. Well, from my, my understanding, Jeremy, the, the Vita Chambers are something that were in System Shock. Yes, they were. But they cost a resource to use. Yes, that's true, too. Uh, you're right, actually. I didn't want to get to the System Shock stuff, because the other unofficial enemy of last time on video games is the System Shock community. And that's our fault. They're not our enemy. We're their enemy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, that's accurate. Um, <laughs> but hey, I stand by my statements in that System Shock episode. I don't remember them, but I do stand <laughs> by them. So you're a little bit right on that. The problem with the Vita Chamber is they're not like a checkpoint because anything you've done, the world persists even after a Vita Chamber, which in some cases I understand why they did because you can run out of ammo and mana in this game. And then you're just stuck beating people with a wrench until you get some more resources. If you play it poorly or you don't quite know what you're doing, or you spend all your money on something that seemed like a good idea at the time, but then realize it was an awful investment you made. So you kind of need this system, but it just takes all incentive out of getting good at this game. Because you can literally just attrition this game. The Vita Chambers are frequent. This game has a health system where you need to manually use health kits to heal. You can have up to nine. There were many times when I was like, man, I could use a health kit, but that would spend a health kit, which is a resource, or I could just die. And then I would not <laughs> lose the health kit and would go back to full health. And it's just like the opposite of Dark Souls. I never cared about fighting an enemy because I could just pop out of the Vita chamber and then go fight it again. Yeah, that, that is a huge problem with, with gameplay because gameplay needs to come with consequences because as Jeremy said, I could just, I could do a wrench run without doing any of the upgrades to the wrench in order to make it more powerful, and I could just single wrench hit my way to victory. I will say, conversely, like, oh no, I guess it depends on what you consider consequences. I was thinking of the new Prince of Persia, well, n new in heavy quotation marks. Uh, is this the 2002 new Prince of Persia? Which Prince of Persia is this? The one that is not part of the trilogy. Okay, the one after the trilogy? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, as opposed to the one before the trilogy, which is, I guess, an important distinction. Yes. Uh, or the one that's based on the movie. I'm sorry, there's one based on the movie. It doesn't call itself based on the movie, but it's based on the movie. I don't I don't know. Maybe. It might be that one. I don't no, think the, so. This it's, one was before the movie. Yeah. Are okay. you thinking of the one with the Freddy Krueger love? No. I don't think so. Does he have a... I was going to say, does he have a female sidekick? But I think that <laughs> describes all of them. Yep. Um, no, it's uh, ba basically it's a thing where like every time you die or fail, you just get popped back to a relatively frequent checkpoint. But it's like it becomes a mastery challenge because you do not retain any progress. So yeah. if there are enemies, you do have to fight all of them again. Uh, that's my problem with Bioshock is you retain all the progress. Like if you shot a guy once, that's one less shot you have to do when you go into the fight again. And you that's never what I meant by a single wrench hit the, your yeah. way to victory. I think the only time in which you don't have one, I don't think there's one on the final boss, but that's a that's another thing. The final boss is trivial, so that doesn't matter. My biggest problem with this game, I think the Vita Chambers, like I said, I think they're very bad. They took all the fun out of the game for me. But my biggest problem with the game is I don't find any of the weapons satisfying at all. I feel like I have to shoot this guy with a pistol 56 times to kill him. I have to hit him with a wrench 60 times. Uh, the machine gun, I only have to hit him 60 times, and it's a machine gun, so that's okay. But I've only got 30 bullets, so that's going to be tough. Uh, the shotgun is probably the best weapon, but I don't like the slow reload on it. It's okay. Um, Did you upgrade any of your stuff? Yeah, eventually, and it gets better. But by then, the impression of all these weapons suck was so strong. That I was just curious if you had accidentally managed to skip over that. 
and it makes them better, but it never made them feel satisfying to me. And the plasmids are better, but I also find the plasmids really unsatisfying because for the most part, I just found at first, uh, is it lightning blast? Like, I don't know what they're called. Yeah, I think so. And then winter blast to just be the best ones because all I ever wanted to do was like, oh, this stuns the enemy so they can't hurt me because there's no hit stun. So they will just be hurting me if they're not stunned. So all I ever wanted to do with plasmids was stun enemies to then hit them with my weapon. As I say, I also telekinesis can one-shot a lot of things, which is the other reason I use that. Telekinesis is handy for dealing with a lot of things with grenades and such. I found a lot of use for the fire blast because I like lighting things on fire. <laughs> That's not concerning. Uh, also, we should point out really quick, plasmids are basically this game's magic spells. Yeah, you have a mana bar. You have to inject yourself with hypos. I also found the injection animation really awkward. There are times where you can cancel it and stuff, and I could see maybe a speedrunner or someone who really likes this game really getting behind that, but I found it super awkward that a lot of times I just wanted to bring my plasmid out, but, oh, have to give myself the flu shot first. (laughs) The other side of the coin of the weapons being very unsatisfying is I find the enemies to be incredibly tedious. There are only a couple of them, and they just all seem to have so much health. Like, the ones that throw grenades in you, I feel like you have to throw, like, four grenades back at them to kill them. The one that I've always found the most tedious is the fire guys, because they teleport. So I have to find them. I have to chase them down and find them. Whereas usually I could kill the grenade guys with one or two grenades. And with the exception of the big daddies, which deserve their own talking point, I find the enemies all really blur together. They're just constantly throwing them at you. The only challenge this game has is in numbers. And like I said, you can just attrition your way back through them, which makes it really unfun, in my opinion. There's no, like, interesting—I shouldn't say there's no. There's very few interesting encounters. There's the one, uh, Sander Cohen, that's the artist's name. Yeah. The one where he throws a bunch of guys at you. That's pretty fun. That's a well-designed room. There's one where, like, the lights go out and their yeah, enemies that one's ambush you. That's pretty good. And there's one where Andrew Ryan makes you watch his biopic and then attacks you <laughs> with enemies. That's pretty good. But so many of them are just hallway with some water and some enemies. And I was exhausted by the end of this game of just murdering assholes with knives for hands that wanted to kill me because I have a funny hat. I think there is a backstory about them all being mind controlled, but I don't think they're they're not all mind they're controlled. Just all they're insane. all druggies. Yeah, they're just all insane druggies, basically. Why don't they insane druggie at each other? Uh, I'm, I'm not a big daddy. Good, because you don't look like an insane druggie yet. So they do my hand is made of bees. <laughs> My left hand is bees. My God. This hand of mine is bees. My God. (laughs) Yeah. And I find all the extraneous systems on this game to make it almost even worse. Like the worst one being Pipe Dream. What, you don't like Pipe Dream? I like Pipe Dream just fine. I don't like interrupting my first person shooter every two minutes to play a game of Pipe Dream. There are so many cameras that you need to hack in order to get... There are, two, them. there are two big problems with the Pipe Dream minigame. One is the one you're talking about, Zach, about consequences, where if you fail a game of Pipe Dream, they slap you on the wrist. You lose, a, like, one HP. Again, <laughs> if you, you can't die from this, again, death is not a problem in this game anyway, so losing HP is not actually a threat. So there's just no reason not to hack everything you find, which means there's no reason not to spend two hours playing Pipe Dream if you're playing Bioshock, <laughs> which sucks. There's no reason not to hack every vending machine, because you only benefit from it. And There's I no reason there, not to hack every turret because you only benefit from there it. There are some. The other problem that I actually had with Pipe Dream is occasionally you will run into situations that are impossible to win. Yes, there are occasionally unwinnable Pipe Dream games in there. Which is really annoying. Especially if it fits the alarm one. Yeah. So it sets off the alarm. It's like, 
great. It's not, oh my god, I'm, I'm in so much trouble. It's, god, this is going to be annoying. Yeah, this is tedious again. Yeah. <laughs> and so much of the game just feels tedious to me. Big Daddies are probably the best enemy. Unfortunately, I only actually think the drill arm ones are good. All the other ones are just guys with guns and a lot of HP. The the biggest thing about the the Rosies is the one you're talking about. They they are the bouncer and the Rosie. The bouncer is the guy with the drill arm. Yep. The Rosie has a rivet gun, and I think that's the problem. Is that the rivet gun is a hit scan? It, it hits a hit scan. So if it fires, it hit. It pretty much hits you. It will throw a grenade. So I think one of the things that I enjoyed doing was just grabbing the, the grenades, grenades and throwing them back at it. But in general, yeah, the bouncers because they are they do have. It's a general like skill of dodge the charging guy and then shoot them while they go past you and stuff like that. It's generic. But it's the most fun I had playing this but video game. But I don't game. have to worry about running myself into a guy who like basically can't miss, which is just frustrating. Big Daddies are the iconic enemy of the game, and they are good from an art design standpoint. I guess we kind of skipped over. The art design in this game is good. Yep. Too incredible. I was struck by how Walt Disney it is, and that was very distracting, both in that Andrew Ryan is just evil Walt Disney. Um, <laughs> and I don't know how I didn't know that the first time I saw him. It even looks like him. Yeah, <laughs> it's just Walt Disney. <laughs> but this game is so inspired by Disneyland rides, especially 50,000 Leagues Under the Sea. That one's super obvious. But the like first glory shot of I give you rapture and then like the bubbles, that is straight out of uh, a part of the ride, 50,000 Leagues Under the Sea. It's just, there's not a city there in it. It's, I think, the Kraken is what's there. And there's just so much Disney Dark Ride that, honestly, more video games should take advantage of. I think it hurts Bioshock for me in the end, because everything in Bioshock's story is diegetic. It's all stuff you're seeing. It never takes control and does a cutscene. It never lets you see your character. And that, for me, made it even harder to get into his head and made me go even more, why am I here? I mean, I, I understand why they wouldn't have taken you out because it yeah. is supposed to be the player being controlled. Yes. But at the same time, kind of having a sense of distance from it can really help you get into the story, weird as it might sound. Yeah. No, yeah, there are advantages to both. I think it's just that if I was this guy, I would take my chances at the top of the lighthouse waiting for a rescue <laughs> and not go into the crazy murder city. So the fact that he was not a character but was supposed to be me was greatly detrimental. Yeah, because... Like, I had a thought because I don't think there's any would you kindly or anything like that into the lighthouse. Like you no. just go into the lighthouse. I, w- I don't know if it was Far Cry 4 or Far Cry 5, but it needs an ending like that game had. Where, at the where begin- you just wait. <laughs> yeah, at the beginning of the game, the villain says, hey, if you just wait for me for a minute, I'll be right back and we can get you home. Think- and if you just wait, he will just- that happens. I think they all come back. Or I think they all have something like that. 4 is the one that's the best known for it, where he's like, I have to go take care of this. And the game expects you to get up and leave. But if you just sit there for like 10 minutes, he comes back and the game is over. Yep. And you get a special ending. Yeah. I feel like Bioshock needed that. <laughs> Speaking of endings, let's talk about the moral choices of Bioshock. Okay, all right. So this game wants to think it has a moral choice, uh, and it kind of does in either kill the little sisters or save the little sisters. But if you kill even one, and as Jeremy said before, one is enough, you automatically are cycled into the bad ending, which means it's like, oh, I hit the wrong button. Guess I'm going for an evil run now. It's not, I'm thinking about that. It's just, all right. The way you phrased it, you you will often do this, Zach, attributing uh, motivations to an art project, uh, which I, to be fair, is not entirely unfair. I've done it before too. I kind of wonder if they think they wanted to have moral choices or if this is like a publisher thing of, hey, moral choices are big, throw some in Bioshock because they literally make no sense to me. They're not really an object. I mean, they're kind of an objectivist choice, but not really. It's not an interesting critique of objectivism, a philosophy I completely disagree with and am fine just throwing in the dumpster. But this is not an interesting way to do that. 
And this is not an interesting gameplay thing either. I, I'm stealing this from a Let's Player, and I don't remember which one, so I apologize. But he was like, basically like, hey, so the moral choice is, if you kill this little girl, I'll give you 50 bucks. If yep. you take her to a nice orphanage and pat her on the head, I'll give you 30 bucks. And when you take three there, I'll give you a bonus $100. <laughs> <laughs> because the gameplay implication of the choice, which is more interesting than the moral choice, although not interesting, is that you get more Adam, which is your... Magic. experience basically yeah uh for buying upgrades if you s murder them than if you save them but if every three you save you get an extra reward which is usually worth more than the atom you would have gotten the difference and i don't find the upgrades you're buying to be particularly useful or like money choked i think overall actually um you get slightly less atom overall if you save all of them versus killing all of them i'd have to double check the math on that but i think that's the case but at the at the end of the day it's not enough to make a noticeable difference to your gameplay. And the moral choice is just completely incorrect for a video game moral choice. Because there's nothing particularly fun about killing a little girl. Driving a car into an orphanage, that's fun. <laughs> Murdering a little girl, that's nothing. Like, when you're given evil choices in games, they should either be of clear immediate benefit to make an overall moral like saying of the end of, hey, you took the easy way, but that wasn't the right way. I'm okay with being judged in that fashion. Or they should be like fun, evil things like punching the reporter in Mass Effect. Reporters should not be punched under any circumstances. <laughs> it's ridiculous for Shepard to do that. But it is fun to just punch this person who's been annoying you for a while, right? <laughs> it's, when it's cartoon evil, when it's, ah, now I'll blow up the orphanage. Then you're giving players like expression to be Starscream. And being Starscream <laughs> is fun. I mean, that is kind of the reason why games like Saints Row and Grand Theft Auto work. You are playing objectively bad people, but it's so cartoonish to an outlandish degree in the way the game is designed that you don't really care. Speaking of which, I forgot the other game I've been playing is Red Dead 2. Um, I should play that. I own it. Um, it's all right. It's, it's no Pokemon Legends. It's no Pokemon <laughs> Legends. Yeah, that's uh, for entirely different reasons. But moral choices are fine if they're like sending a moral message in the end. I'm OK with that. I'll like Spec Ops the line stuff. Moral choices are fun if they're, like, letting you express pragmatism, like they often are in Max Effect. Or they're fun if, in, like, a Star Wars way, if I'm like, I'm evil! <laughs> if the game is going to give you the chance to play the hero who swoops in and kisses the girl and does everything right, I think it's fair that the game also lets you play the, <laughs> I have you now! <laughs> the the, the melodramatic villain, right? <laughs> yep. Nobody thinks it's okay to murder little girls. You're, you're not shocking anybody by saying that's bad and condemning somebody for it. And I don't think anyone thinks it's fun to kill a helpless little girl either. <laughs> it's not punch her in the face. It's not driving the, your car into the orphanage and blowing it up on the way back, which, <laughs> yeah, which so, is absurd. And that's why it's fun. Yeah, right? I was going to say wild comparisons, but yes, I agree. Well, it, it's because it's, it's so diametrically opposed on top of everything else. You are either the most evil thing on the planet because you are willing to murder all of these little girls, or you are a virtuous saint. Uh-huh. Because you're willing to save all these little girls? It's like, Or, you know, you're just a decent human being. What they don't tell you is also you're paying for child support on all of them afterwards. Well, I mean, I, they kind of do imply yeah, that the, at the implication the is the... you paid for all of their college with your splicer powers? Your rapture and, well, fun bucks. <laughs> and the fact that you were a big daddy as a one-way street is ignored in the ending. Like, what does that even mean? Because as far as I can tell, like, what you did was you put on a diver's helmet and smell and sprayed yourself with a really bad 
perfume. Yeah, like, that, that, that's the thing. Is like, and and also, a, why do you need to dress up as a big daddy when all these girls you've already saved have been like, oh, thank you, and, mister, we owe you. If and all- they're the ones that are coming out to help you. <laughs> yes. Like, that section, like, never made sense. To, like, we have to turn you into a big daddy. Um, why? They literally all know me. I went past their area, remember? I'm like, I'm calling for one of them to come out and help me. I'm not like, hey, I'm gonna... I'm just gonna take this random one, and that—that's the one I'm gonna have to use. Oh, and the last boss fight sucks. Can we rank this game now? <laughs> the last I'm not, boss I'm... fight is awful. <laughs> Do we have any final thoughts? Like I said, I really don't like this game. I get why the Andrew Ryan scene is so powerful in culture. I get why people go back to that, especially if you played it 10 years ago and don't remember any of the context of it, but you do remember that part, which is kind of where I was before I played this game for the podcast. I enjoy this game still. Like, it's got a lot of flaws. Although if I'm looking at the Bioshocks, it's like, do I want to play this one or Infinite? And it's actually kind of a hard choice for me. Really? Like, it is no choice. It's Infinite all the way. Well, generally so. because with Infinite, I remember the ending and I'm like, I do not Yeah, want. that's that's fair. I that's way better the than the bad, a bad beginning to a video game, though, right? Infinite also has a pretty bad beginning. Ah, I know you have to throw a tomato at someone. <laughs> it's a baseball. I will also say, like, I don't know, it, it's fine for, like, a kind of silly run-and-gun shoot em up um, except for, like we said, all the enemies being tedious. I really like the setting, and I think that's really what's stuck in my head about it, is like, man, this is a really cool concept, and I like the, the statement they're making about how that all went to and that is mostly what I remember about Bioshock. All of the setting stuff I think is good. I think all the way it's presented is actually pretty good, and I think that's actually worth studying, but... So much of the game, I think, just doesn't work and isn't fun. All right. So we have a list on our website, www.lastpodcast.com, listing all the games we've played from best to worst. At the top is Chrono Trigger. Uh, I got nothing. At the bottom, City Connection. Andrew Ryan would not buy that for a dollar. He would expel it from Rapture. Uh, Dead in the center, we have Blades of Steel, our favorite. Since it's a... A successor to System Shock, I think we have to compare it to that. We were not kind to System Shock. I, For good reason. That you don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember, but I stand by every statement I make about the game. Mostly we really didn't like the menu design, is is really what the problem was. But. Uh, at the end of the day, I would recommend Bioshock over System Shock to someone. It just plays simpler. But if I like went to some weird world where only one or the other existed and somehow Bioshock existed without System Shock in one of them... I would choose the world where System Shock exists and Bioshock doesn't. Yeah, I, like, I kind of want to go back and, like, try to replay System Shock and see if there's actually something there. I'm never going to, but... I like myself too much for that. <laughs> I think Bioshock is better than System Shock. I do, too. I just wanted to make that note of, like, there are many different reasons we put something above or something or below something else on another list. And ultimately, I think Bioshock goes above. But again, if the choice was which video game deserves to exist more, I actually think it's System Shock. A weird comparison, but one I wanted to make was to Knights of the Old Republic. Interesting. I mean, definitely KOTOR all the way, but for me anyway. (laughs) The reason I wanted to make the comparison is because I feel like both are very well known for their story twist in the the midpoint, which are both very good. And I think both of them are bad. I think KOTOR is a bad RPG around that, and Bioshock is a bad shooter around that. I would, generally speaking, prefer to play a bad shooter to a bad RPG, but... Almost because Bioshock gets involved in the moral quandary stuff and does it so poorly. That makes me think KOTOR is better. Zach, you've been looking very pensive this entire time, and I can be swayed. So what do you want to say on it? I I like both games. I'm trying to determine whether or not I... Every time I think of of, uh, 
KOTOR, I remember the first four hours of KOTOR are Terrace. Yep, that's true. And but that is awful. I just said that it's better for a video game to have a bad ending than a bad beginning. But I would contrast that to everything after Andrew Ryan in Bioshock. And I'd much rather play through Terrace right now than that. I think I'd have to say I'd rather play the Bioshock stuff because by that time, I've already kind of gotten myself onto a roll. It's a, and Whereas uh, it's yep. really hard to get a start well, which is in why, KOTOR. Which is why I just said it's better to have a bad ending than a, a bad beginning. So are you saying you think Bioshock is better? Yes. You're saying KOTOR? So it's um, I, I, I would pretty much always prefer to play KOTOR, yeah. Yeah, I, I also think KOTOR. It's a lot closer for me. Like I said, I would generally speaking prefer a bad shooter to a bad RPG, which is what I think the two are. But I think KOTOR hangs together better. And like the story around KOTOR makes sense. That's like a, I don't want to say a fight club reveal, but like when you get the reveal, you're not like, oh, wait, but this doesn't make sense. And this doesn't make sense. And this doesn't make sense. You're like, oh, that's why that and that and that. No, that's entirely fair. I, I was actually having a really hard time. Yeah, you looked very pensive. Between the two. And I was as well, which is one of the reasons I wanted to use it as a point. At number nice, we have Doom 2 which is another shooter I don't really care for. Doom 2 has way better enemy design and better weapon design, but it's less interesting than Bioshock, right? Like we, yeah. our, our criticism is always, it's just more Doom. I kind of want to play more Doom more than Bioshock, <laughs> but again, the reverse of it, I would rather the world where Bioshock exists than Doom 2 doesn't, if I had to make that I choice. I think I would have to say Bioshock, because while Doom 2 does generally have more interesting uh, enemy designs. The problem is that most of those enemy designs are just copy-pasted from Doom. They're not from the game itself, as well as the levels in Doom 2 can be really annoying to navigate. Yeah, I'm actually kind of torn on this, because I, I was going to say the level design of Doom 2 is what does it in for me, but on the other hand, some of the, like there are some interesting puzzles in Doom 2. Um, they're just like not until like halfway through the game, so... Yeah, I don't know. Do you have any strong opinion on this one, Jeremy? No, I think I lean slightly towards Bioshock. I'm very easily swayed, but it, it comes down to I don't really want to play either, if I'm being honest, and I prefer that Bioshock exists. Even though I think if forced to play one, I would pick Doom 2. I, I think that's kind of where I am, is like if forced to play one, I would play Doom 2, and that matters to me a fair amount, but also, yeah, I think Bioshock is a more interesting game, so probably Bioshock. Okay. Very weird comparison, but there are only weird comparisons left, so buckle up. How does it compare to Sonic Adventure 2 Battle? Interesting. Um, honestly, I think Bioshock is actually a pretty clear My knee-jerk reaction was Bioshock 2, and then my secondary reaction was, well, but those Sonic and, and Shadow levels, and then the other part of me went, yeah, and then the rest of the game. So I think I'd have to give it to Bioshock. Pumpkin Zone. Yeah. I would absolutely give it to Sonic 2. It doesn't matter. You both have to give it to Bioshock. <laughs> but again, I'm ra I'd rather Bioshock exists, I think, than Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. But I would much rather play Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. How do we think Bioshock compares to Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney? Oh, I oh. way prefer Phoenix Wright. I, I think Phoenix Wright encapsulates a certain amount of charm that just like way over and also kind of spun off a whole genre of games. Like, it itself was kind of a spinoff of a genre of games, but now there's a bunch of Phoenix Wright clones, so... I wanted to make a wisecrack about that, but Phoenix Wright all the way. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, the characters are so great in Phoenix Wright, and while it doesn't have the action that is Bio that has that Bioshock occasionally comes up with, the lovability and greatness of all of the characters in Phoenix Wright really really pushes it over the top. I've also watched, like, four different videos on how good the music composition in Phoenix Wright is, so... He's very good. So really, I'm just going to ask Tyler, because I know where I stand and then where Zach stands. <laughs> Better or worse than Mega Man X3, Tyler? Oh, uh, actually kind of a tough choice. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> the listeners can probably also already guess where we each stand on this one. Yeah. No, and it, hmm, hmm, like the gameplay in Mega Man X3 is just way better, but also, man, it's getting kind of stale by that point in the series. Um, so, like, to some extent, like, again, if there is only one, it, it should be Bioshock. But if there's a game I want to play, way hands down is Mega Man. But think um, about the, the setting in Bioshock, I think, is another really big thing that it gets over the Mega Man franchise. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the Mega Man franchise. I've already gone on record. The setting is also feels very bland in the Mega Man franchise to me, but the underwater city of Rapture, and especially the effort they went through, in my opinion, to make it look like it's starting to fall apart. No, for sure, like, uh, they're... The problem is, like, Bioshock is trying to say something. I don't know that it says it particularly well, but it's trying to say something. And uh, Mega Man is like, want to shoot some robots? Um, <laughs> Mega Man is, you want to give Capcom more money. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I kind of do. I mean, they're going to make Phoenix right if we give them enough money when Mega Man <laughs> X3 comes out. <laughs> I think I'm going to lean towards Mega Man just because I think the gameplay is sufficiently better. All right, so Bioshock goes at number 59, above Sonic Adventure 2 <laughs> Battle, and below Mega Man X3. Objective truth. Everybody knows this about <laughs> Bioshock, right? <laughs> Slightly better than a hedgehog going Super Saiyan. Slightly third than the third time a robot did a Hadouken. <laughs> so who's got to pick next time? Me. I have to pick next time. And I don't have my Wii U. So it has to be something on Switch. And I was like, is it? Can I do Disgaea? I'm like, no, probably not. Disgaea is a full ass game. I'm not going to make them both buy Disgaea. I already own Disgaea. What are you talking about? <laughs> also, Disgaea is great. <laughs> so it's going to be an RPG. Okay. Uh, there's one I've wanted to do on the podcast for a long time. So in honor of Legends Arceus, we can go play Pokemon Gold. That's on the DS. Oh, interesting. Okay. Is it really? Yeah. Had not even occurred to me that that was an option. So yeah, that's why I'd forgotten about it. I'd honestly rather not because if I'm going to be spending all because we're going to be playing, playing Arceus. Pokemon Arceus, I don't want to be trying to play another Pokemon game. Uh, very fair. So let's play Dragon Warrior Three, my favorite Dragon Warrior game. Okay, is that on the Switch? It is. I want. It was seven bucks, but it might have been on sale when I bought it. All right. Yeah, I'm actually kind of in the mood for a grindy RPG, and that is exactly oh, what yeah. Dragon that's Warrior what is. Dragon so. Warrior Three is. So <laughs> next time on Last Time. Careful what you wish for, Tyler. You might turn into a magical girl.